Welcome to the See My Grief podcast, a Conversations with Kelly production. I'm your host, Kelly Grosslogs, and I want to welcome you to this community where my intention is for those that listen can experience healing, safety, hope, and possibility. This is a space where all grief matters. I want you to feel seen and heard and embraced. To all of you, welcome. This is so nice to sit down. We do, we, I mean, we have conversations like this all the time in, in a number of different ways. And um, it's been a little while since we've recorded a podcast together. And this topic, lessons from the dying. I know, obviously, our podcasts are kind of merging for these two episodes. But for people who tune in and are kind of wondering, why talk about something like this on a podcast, mental health focused? What would you say to that? Well, because we're all going to experience end of life, either within ourselves or with somebody we love, I think sometimes mental health gets this rap like it means there's something wrong with you or Mm. there's something sick about your mental health. But we all have a physical health, a spiritual health, and a mental health. So I think when we come to the topic of grief or end of life, I think it correlates so beautifully with how are we doing in our mental health? And I think what I want to talk about today, these lessons that I've learned from years at the bedside have actually improved my overall mental outlook with how I look at life, how I look at my relationships, how I want to live my life. And so it does correlate. But it's interesting because when people ask me about mental health, they generally assume that means there's something wrong. And for me, my hope is these lessons add to people's quality of life, which would include people's mental life, mental health. What's your experience? I mean, I I know the answer to this, but for people listening, what's been your experience at the bedside with people at the end of their life? So for those that don't know what I do, I'm Kelly Grosslogs, by the way. And for those that don't know what I do, I have spent my entire career in some capacity of people who have a serious illness. Some people have a terminal illness. And my career started off, a lot of people don't get to start off with their dream job out of college, but I did. And I got to work at an inpatient hospice unit. And we had close to 20, sometimes 25 patients at a time. And they came to us specifically for symptom management and likely because they couldn't die at home. So what I learned, Brian, when I would go in, and it can be a very intimidating experience, and for people listening that have had somebody close to them die, that's different for me. I will say that. So when I've had people die in my life that are very close to me, it's still a very big honor, and I've learned a lot from them. But it is not the same experience, obviously, that I've had professionally because my own grief isn't tied into that person dying. And when my own grief isn't tied into that person dying in a professional setting, I feel like I can be much more present for the lessons that have come. So I have walked with thousands of people who are dying. 
and have been privileged to be with hundreds as they've taken their last breath, but thousands. I haven't been, obviously, with every patient when they've actually died, but I've had conversations, whether it's at the bedside or in my private practice. And if they became too sick to come to my office, then we would move our sessions to their hospital bed or their bed, their couch or wherever it would be at home. And what was so beautiful after, and really it was interesting because the first 10 years I was hearing all these themes, but I wasn't necessarily aware of them in the moment that they were themes. It's when I started looking back in retrospect on some of the things I've learned from the dying that I realized there were these incredible themes. Then I started being very present again to them and they were coming out in various ways. So one of the things that I noticed with people with the dying is that what they care about and what their energy goes into is much smaller at the end of their life. It's not so wrapped up into what do people think of me? Did I disappoint that person? Do I look okay? Am I the right weight? Am I, you know, all these things that we spend so much time on. Am I going to offend this person? Am I going to? They're much more focused in general. Obviously, this is, there are outliers to some of this, Mm -hmm. but in general, much more focused on what matters most to them. So their people, their animals, the their surroundings. Their, they take great joy in a bird. They take great joy in the flower color. They take great joy. And when our minds are not so focused on worrying about all these extraneous things in life, we do have more space and we do have more energy for these finite things that are quite beautiful. So one of the themes where the world gets smaller, but not less profound. And I, I think it actually becomes more profound because when I would have conversations with people, and it was beautiful for me in private practice because I could, sometimes I saw these people for three to four years and I, I got to see the trajectory of things. So what we were working on prior to the end, end of life were very different. And some of those things, even though they had a terminal illness, did include things like worrying about what someone thinks of them or did I offend somebody or things that they they wouldn't necessarily focus on at the end. And then when they got closer to dying and became sicker, the conversations that we had changed and it became much more about what matters, what brings me safety, what brings me comfort and less about these catastrophic worries or things that never came to fruition that people would worry about. And so what that's helped me with when I get real kind of in the weeds sometimes about things that maybe even in a week aren't going to matter. I have to pull back and I think about those conversations and I think about, you know, for me, is this really what matters? Are these the most important things to me? And I, again, I'm not saying I do it well every time, but that was a resounding theme that I would see at the end. And it was this, there are things that I focus on. My world is quite small, but it's a little more enjoyable to live in. Yeah. And and incredible lessons that we can all take and learn how to live our lives, maybe with some more of those things infused into our day-to-day. Yeah. Which is, you always say, the dying teach you how to live. Always. And you know, the interesting thing is that I don't know that 
many of my patients intentionally did this. I think it just naturally happened with the dying process because I think what ends up happening at the end, there are, I don't know, there's less chaos in our life. There's less commotion. There's, And when you're at the end, from what I can tell, you really want to focus on the things that bring you joy. You really want to focus on the things that bring you comfort. And when I've asked, I know you've heard me talk about this, one of the things I would often ask patients is, do you have any regrets? And sometimes they're very painful things that come up, but a lot of times people would say to me, you know, Kelly, why did I spend so much energy worrying about things and worrying about money, worrying about different things? And I'll say, well, do you want to share what you worried about? And 90% of the time they'd say, I have no idea what it was. But I just know that I spent so much of my precious life, because when you don't have much time left, you really are intentional how you spend it. That's been one of the greatest things. And it's, it's actually even emotional to think about because worrying or, you know, whatever it is that we do, we all do it. It's part of our human day. And I think what's so interesting is when you sit with these the greatest teachers who are seeing life through a very finite lens. And it's like the outside stuff just doesn't exist. It just doesn't, whether it's the politics on social media, whether it's, you know, all these things that we can get really wrapped up in, it just doesn't exist. And it's more about, oh, I had a beautiful visit with my granddaughter, or I had, I saw the most beautiful bird today, Kelly, or you know what's so beautiful? I got the most beautiful card, and it just made my day. Or I sat and I held hands with my daughter, and we didn't say anything. And so that, that for me, as sad, obviously, as it is that this person's life is ending, it might be a time where they've lived the most, though. And I think for me, that that is what I saw over and over again. Yeah. And, and I think Bogey agrees with you. I know. You can so we Bogey can hear in Bogey. The, in, the, in the background, which is, and how he's sitting at, he's sitting at my feet now. Hi, buddy. He's the cutest dog ever. he makes a ever. lot of noise because he's, he does have a heart murmur. So. And he's the cutest dog ever. Mm. Um, what's it like to sit at the bedside as somebody takes their last breath? I will say that I, for me, so I've given birth twice and there are a lot of metaphors to, to birthing and dying. There's stages, there's transition times. It can be hard work. But what it's like for me, having been at the bedside, is I describe it as incredibly sacred and I don't take the honor lightly because when people, and I do believe this, people choose when they're going to die in the sense of when they're terminal. So I don't believe, obviously, people in car accidents and that type of thing. I just think we know that people will hold on for days if somebody's coming to visit that they want to see. We know that people can sit around a bed, a family can sit around for days and someone goes out to get coffee and the person dies. So there's... I think some control in 
when people choose to let go and that people have chosen when I'm in the room mm-hmm. has been incredible. Sometimes I've been the only person in the room with them. And sometimes I've been amongst family as they have died. And it's so peaceful. And it gives me a little peek into the next world or the yeah. next whatever. Because, you again, you see humans probably at their most surrendered moment that you'll ever see somebody. They're just, they're, they're needing to surrender. And to, to witness that is a complete honor and sacred. And to not have death be like what it's like on TV is also a beautiful thing. To have it be where if you have love in the room, and maybe the love is coming from one person, but if you have love in the room, that is the best medicine we can offer at the end. And that's another learning is, are we getting too wrapped up in our relationships and our connections with people about having to over-provide or provide all this or it has to be the perfect this and whatever? Can we come back to some of the basics? Safety, love, connection, follow through. And when you see somebody in... (laughs) We kind of just have to laugh at this point that... You're, you're telling us the most profound things about <laughs> and I've got a dog. the cycle of life. And and then we have Bogey, who's digging. Um, <laughs> he's digging a bit. He's trying to find something. He's trying to dig through the through the rug. And you thought Cooper would be annoying. I know. We, we were going to record this at my place. I know. And I said Cooper would be really all over the place. But yeah. I, I'm telling you, Cooper would be way more active than what these two are doing. It's just funny. Maybe it's the topic that's making yeah. him. Yeah, he's like, Mom, what are you? <laughs> I know. You're really going there today, Mom, with this topic. So I think it's such a, for me, it's it's such a beautiful question truly to be asked. And I have to say, it's the most sacred thing. Now, again, if I'm at the bedside of somebody I really love and yeah. they're dying, I obviously have so many more emotions going into this. So I'm always careful to not glamorize. It's not that. But even when I've, like with my Aunt Sherry, to be there when she took her last breath is incredibly sacred. I mm-hmm. mean, and there, I love the saying that when we come into the world, we're crying and everybody else is rejoicing. And when we leave this world, we are rejoicing and everyone else is crying. And I, whatever your spiritual belief is, for some people, and the majority of the people I've worked with, they have suffered mm-hmm. deeply. Mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, whatever, this cruel disease that they have. And I've been with kiddos when they've died. I've been with teenagers when they've died. And I've been with adults. And in all honesty, it doesn't look much different. It's they want their people. Mm -hmm. They want to feel safe. They want to feel what's familiar. And they want to feel love. And we can come back to some of those basics in living. I mean, we really, we can slow it down, pause it. And come back to when we're getting all worked up over, am I enough? Am I this? Am I that? Come back to the basics, loving, safety, and connection. Yeah. One of the most common questions that I hear from other people when I tell them the work that you do is how does she do that? How does she do this work? It would be so heavy. It would be so sad. It would be too much. 
What do you say to that? So I get that question a lot. Yeah. And I acknowledge that there are days, there are some deaths that have been very hard for me yeah. and that have been very sad for me. But for me, Brian, in all honesty, it's not so much how do I do it, it's how can I not do this? Because it is to me, it's a calling. It's in my DNA, you know, my for some people know my backstory, some people don't. My mom died when I was 11 and kind of had a sudden death and then a prolonged death because she was mm-hmm. resuscitated. And then it was like this long three months. And it was before, it was before palliative care. It was before any of that was really big in the States. And so her death could have been different. It was the best it could be at the time. But in all honesty, how can I not do this? Because what we didn't get and what my mom didn't get is what motivates me. It's that dedication to provide, again, education to people, safety, reassurance. I had a woman ask me a couple weeks ago, will I know when I'm going to die? And will I know when I'm closer to death? And what I told her is from my experience, she would know, but that she would not be fearful and, and that she would be medicated and surrounded by love and reassured and that you could just see the exhale that she had like because everybody i mean the majority of the human race is scared of dying it's not there's nothing wrong with that i myself have had moments where i'm like i'm not ready to die like no i don't want to but in my work i know that it is a real privilege to be able to die surrounded by love and comfortable in safety. And that that is my life's mission, is to help people live well until they die and then to die well. So it is, I mean, to the, to the common person, I have one of two reactions when I tell people, it's, oh my gosh, how can you do that? And I would never do that. And then the other one is this real fascination with it. You know, just this real fascination with it and i mean i've had the honor of listening to many stories from you about what you've experienced is is there anything that you would want to share with people listening as far as like i know that i mean to say what's the one most memorable moment wow. of being with somebody i mean that's like impossible to do but are, are, is, is there anything that you've experienced at the bedside with somebody that has really really stuck with you or an experience or something that you witnessed? Yeah. So there was somebody I worked with. This happened a couple of times. But when I think about the patients and clients that I've worked with, and I think about, you know, on paper, and it just, you know, I don't necessarily like to use the word fair, but it's pretty unfair. You know, yeah. they're young. They're 30. They've got this cancer, just had a baby, or they just got married or whatever the situation is. Or they just retired. That's another really hard thing to swallow is when people work so hard. But I was working at the bedside and it was with a gentleman who I had probably worked with for close to two years. And what this cancer did to him physically, because he was such an attractive person, and what it did to him physically was, I mean, it was just, it was so cruel. And he would often 
in the beginning of his disease, not see people. He would isolate because he didn't like the way it made him look. It made him puffy and all these things, hair loss, all that. Towards the end, he realized that what he needed the most were those people. So he was letting people come over and connecting. And it was really, it was changing his pain. It was changing his mood. It was changing everything for the better. Mm. But I remember when he was hours away from death and I was thanking him and he didn't have a lot of energy And I would often do that with patients. I would thank them and I would tell them something I'm going to remember about them, something I'm going to share with the world about them. Obviously, there's privacy things, but they're lessons. And I'd say, would that be okay? Yes, of course. They want to be remembered. They want to have a legacy. But this gentleman, this guy, he reached for my hand and he didn't really have a lot of energy, but I was just thanking him. And he wasn't, his eyes were closed. But, and he was getting weaker and his breathing was changing. And I didn't know, I was just telling him, you know, it's, you're getting closer and you're surrounded and your family's on the way and, you know, rubbing his hair. And Mm -hmm. and he opened his eyes and he looked at me and he said, he mouthed, I mean, it was very soft, but he just said, thank you, Kelly. I love you. And it was like, and he just said, thank you. And he had one tear that came out and I remember and the reason that was so profound from this man who was a wonderful man but struggled with expressing gratitude and love to people because he got hurt a lot and so he again clamped down and for him to express those two things at the end that we had been working on for a long time was profound and I mean, I have hundreds of stories, but he just came to mind just now. And it was the mm-hmm. mouthing of thank you and I love you. And I thought, wow, he at the end, to not have a lot of energy, took the time to do that. It's, I mean, what a gift. So this is a, a really big question. Based on what you've seen, is there something more out there? <laughs> I knew that was going to be it. <laughs> Based on what I have seen, yes. Based on what my colleagues have seen, yes. We say this a lot, at least my colleagues. Now, maybe there's colleagues listening to this from other hospices, but we say this a lot. It would be hard to not believe there's something when you work with the dying. Now, I'm not going to, it doesn't matter what it's called. I just know there's something. And how do I know that? Well, I can't tell you how many times I've walked in on conversations that the dying are having with people that I don't see in the room. I can't tell you how many times they have told me about visitations they've gotten from people that have died. I mean, and I have literally, Brian, there is a look on somebody who's dying that's very close where they are looking, they look through you. So they're looking at you, but they're looking through you. And I've seen that look so many times. And they're following something. I'm not moving, but they're looking through me. And 98 to 99% of the time, this brings people great comfort. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So it's hard to say there's not something. When I have witnessed so many beautiful things, and it's this beautiful, I mean, the reunion is a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to witness. What's always stuck with me from your stories have been the reaching that you've seen. A lot of reaching, 
a lot of trying to get out of bed. Um, that's mm. a very common thing. And they want to go. They, there's a travel theme and a travel metaphor at the end. Mm. They want to catch a train. They want to go, quote unquote, home. I had a woman that kept trying to get out of bed and kept asking for her shoes, literally mm. asking for her shoes. And and it was so that she could have her right shoes on when she caught the train and all these things. But there's a lot of reaching. There's people that weren't religious in life that all of a sudden these religious icons are showing up at their bed. And that's cool. I mean, you know, so again, I don't get so wrapped up in what does it mean? What is it? You know, I've I've worked with people of all faiths. I've worked with people of no faith. I've worked with all religious and spiritual backgrounds. And there tends to be an experience. I mean, there's, and some, some have stuck out to me, but all are profound. Like all are profound, but some have stuck out to me. And as we, I, I could literally talk I know, to you about that for too. hours and hours and hours. Um, yeah, me maybe too. we'll do another episode, part two. But what, as, as we kind of leave people with something here, what, I mean, if you could boil it down to a sentence or two of what you have learned from people at the end of their life that you would want people listening right now to know. What is that? You know, at the end, we are all the same. And at the end, what we crave is what I believe we crave in this life, but we complicate it more during this lifetime, which is to be loved, to feel safe, to feel seen and to feel heard. And love comes in many forms, right? It's not just romantic love. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some of the most beautiful experiences at the end with two friends, brothers. It doesn't have to be a romantic love. But what I have learned the most is that we complicate some of these very beautiful, and I'll call basic even though they're not necessarily basic, they're profound. But we do complicate them in this lifetime. And that when we are at some of our most vulnerable times, which is at the end, we have no control, some, sometimes not even over our body functions, and we surrender and allow, it can be incredibly healing and profound. And another thing is, these people will never be cured. But the healing that happens at the end is quite profound. Again, it's allowing it's allowing yourself and it's feeling worthy enough to be loved and cared for. Well, I want to thank you. I want to thank Bogey. I want to thank Monty. <laughs> We've got Monty backstage. Monty's backstage. <laughs> it's been this beautiful orchestra oh, of voices on thank this. Thank you for being patient on this episode. And um, but truly, my friend, just thank you for kind of giving us all a little glimpse into the the work that you've done. And Brian, I, I have to say, it's such a privilege that you even love to hear about it. You know, oh, there's not a lot of, I mean, everybody wants to hear about it in some way, but then mm -hmm. people are scared to hear about it. But what I share is, I don't even embellish this. I have literally have, in my work, I have a front row seat to the most beautiful encounters spiritually and here on earth that you could ever have. So thank you for listening and being willing to interview me for this. Thank you for sharing.
Thank you for listening to the See My Grief podcast. It is my hope that this episode resonated for you on some level and that you feel less alone, more hopeful, and gained insight. These episodes are not to be seen as a substitute for medical attention or psychological treatment. Please see your licensed providers for individual needs. Thank you so much for sharing and subscribing to this podcast so that we can continue to grow our sacred community. I will talk with you next time, friends, and please know this, I see your grief.